0: Hi there, my name is Paddy Butler. This podcast is brought to you from Liberia, a bookshop by Second Home. Back in October, we celebrated Black History Month at Liberia, welcoming authors Inua Ellums, Jennifer McCombie, and founder of Liberia Ghana, Sylvia Arthur. And for this podcast, co-founder of Literanda, Alessandra Bassi, discussed the emerging voices of African literature with the aforementioned Jennifer McCombie and Sylvia Arthur. But before that, I just wanted to recommend a couple of books by important authors whose writings are related to the following discussion. The Kenyan author Ngugi has been tipped to win the Nobel Prize on a number of occasions, and you could do worse than to read Birth of a Dreamweaver, which tells of his fascinating life and the many struggles for an art, his art, which ultimately aims to contest colonial power through language. Also worth looking at is the late Toni Morrison's essays, Mouthful of Blood, such clear-sighted wisdom from such a force. And other notable books are the classic Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe, and then there's Segu by Marie Conde, which is historical fiction of an exemplary kind and quite an epic. And I know I've mentioned it before, but An Orchestra of Minorities by Chigozi Obioma Again, an epic with nods to the Odyssey and Paradise Lost. And there's a lovely line from the book, which is beautifully poetic. It goes, the separation between the world of mankind and the spirit is only leaf thin. But let's join author Jennifer McCombie and Sylvia Arthur in conversation with Alessandra Bassi.
1: You know why? Because um, I love what you do outside of the library and the literacy outreach is so important. And I think, like what you said, you, it's not enough to have the books. You also have to make them accessible yeah. to the readers and to the local readers as well, not just us over here. But um, I feel like we've talked a little bit about the audiences here already. And I feel like the publishers themselves sometimes forget that even UK audiences, not even European, just UK, mm. it's not homogenous And, you know, they are as diverse as the books, or uh, they are as diverse as the books that should be published that are starting to be published now. But, you know, so, and, um, I wanted to ask you if you think that the legacies of imperialism and colonialism still have a lasting impact on on the ways in which we readers, especially in the West, look at African literature today. And um especially in the context of that looming false impression that Africa was lying in darkness until the Europeans came and brought the supposed lights with no literary history and no any other history.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> oh that is going to take a very long time to break. <laughs> I mean, um people will pick up your book and say this is an African novel. Just the word African takes the value. Of 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 sophistication away from a book. There's this idea that um, writing and creativity is European, and and therefore we Africans are just beginning to discover it, and therefore our writing is naturally inferior. Um, I remember one time somebody got um, shortlisted for the Booker. And they said, oh, but we need to highlight some of these books that are coming up of there, so that people get to know. In other words, it, it's not supposed to be on the of Prize, but we are just highlighting it. And I thought, well, wow. I can't say what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and uh, again, it's a very snobbish subject, literature, um, this is where you find <laughs> people who can be pretentious about a book, okay? And when you couple that with ignorance of what Africa is, then you're really in trouble, you know? Um, so we, for example, there's, there was always the idea that Africa didn't have history before Europe arrived, in fact was Hegel who said um, Africa has not moved and it has not contributed you know uh, and all that finds itself in literature and ways of thinking about literature and so when Africans are aware of this you will find people trying to go against that and show oh, we are sophisticated but by uh, Personally, I think by doing that, you're playing into the, the idea of sophistication. Yeah. You know?
3: Yeah. And I think this is a very, um, it's obviously a very long and deep, uh, yes. stereotype and, um, categorization of Africa as having no written history and therefore we have no history. And it was actually, used to justify the enslavement of Africans you know not even taking into account the fact that the world's oldest known university was in Timbuktu you know you have all those Timbuktu scrolls about philosophy science yeah. mathematics law etc one of the oldest alphabets in the world is uh is Ethiopian is from the the oh, okay. Okay. way
2: and if okay. novel has recently been this, uh, um, found and now we're beginning to think that the novel started in Africa I mean It's exciting. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> there <That> will be <laughs> that will be <laughs> <laughs> okay. more mm-hmm. I mean
3: in a certain way, you know, from a selfish point of view, it actually works for me that people don't see value in African novels because, you know so I started the library with about thousand five hundred of my own books and I kept a small selection of them for myself and I've built on them in the last two years and I actually collect rare and out-of-print and signed works by African writers. And they are among the cheapest books that you can find. You know, you could get, for example, um a Margaret Thatcher book, which will sell for £20,000. And you can get a Kwame Nkrumah first edition signed for about £500. Because our works aren't valued. And obviously, that's a political example. I can give you a literary, literature equivalent as well. Our works aren't valued, but, you know. But, but who
2: does give the value? But exactly. Yeah? Yes. Europe owns value um it's the same with african art yes you know you have no idea how <laughs> much art was siphoned off from africa into the libraries here and then it was devalued okay and when it's devalued then hey th- this is why i don't trust the word value value is a western context uh concept and they infuse and take away value and this is where power lies
3: But that's why we have to reclaim that power that's why i buy those books and i i will value them and i will put them into a museum and people will come and see them and realize that actually these works are equivalent to any other work by any european writer and that's just the way you know we have to appreciate the value unfortunately You know, it it goes back to what we were discussing about access and knowledge of our literary history. It's one thing talking about European audiences and what they know of and how they can access African writers. But because in Africa itself, we don't have that same access to books. We don't realize that actually the African uh, literary world is broad and it's deep. So we don't have that value. So I think it's about us claiming back the power Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. saying, actually, you know, we did have a literature before before 1958, before Chinua Echebe published, (laughs) things fall apart. A long, long history before then. And it's about owning it and saying this is what it is, and we value it even if nobody else does.
2: And I think, uh, and this is what I've been thinking about, of doing, the reawakening African readership two African books because for a very long time Africans have looked away from African novels basically because of the way we've been writing the way so I write about my culture but I'm explaining simple easy (laughs) things and Ugandans reading it will read two three four pages and realize this is not for me because you know why would she digest the book for me you know, because they know I'm writing for the West. So they've been staying away from our text. But it's now time to start, uh, first of all, writing in a way that alerts Africans that, you know what, we are writing back to ourselves. Mm -hmm. But also trying to awaken our readership and say, look, writing that is coming out of Africa has changed and this is what we're doing. And you know, working with markets. I know it would be mainly anglophone markets, yeah. but it's 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 a very it's a wide. Start. Yeah, you know, and 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 then talking to governments and say, look, if a book is traveling within Africa, why would you, for goodness' sake, tax it? Because knowledge shouldn't be that. Yeah.
1: So, Jennifer, I read that you're now hugely popular and very successful book. Chintu, it's Chintu, right? Or yes, is it Kintu? Is it It's Chintu, Chintu yes. Yeah. Um, initially had problems finding a publisher in yes. the UK. Yes. And I was wondering, why do you think that is the case, especially, or that was the case, especially considering how popular it
2: has become ever since it's been published? Well, um, I was told it was too African. Which, of course, to me was a, um, a compliment because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I had written it in yeah. Britain. So. But um, publishers were finding it, um, and agents said that the British would not understand it. There were so many characters and they couldn't get the names right. And, it, you know, they were looking for books that had a bit of... Europe and Africa, and I had excised Europe out of the book, even though it was a historical novel. So, uh, in a way, I later began to understand that, of course, we read ourselves, we, we read in a particular way, and we, we read to find ourselves in text. And Europe, which is used to find itself in all kinds of books, it doesn't matter where they come from, is not used to, you know, it's not going to have a book where it doesn't appear. So they thought perhaps the British wouldn't love it, but I, 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 I found that incredible because I've been reading. We grew up on these books that are incredibly just European, yeah. and we try to create ourselves in those books. Yes. And if we could do it, why shouldn't Europeans exactly you do do that in our books? So I I I stuck to my guns, and uh, eventually the book travelled from Africa to America, where it received uh, when it was published. It received a starred um, review Mm -hmm. from Weekly Publisher, and uh, the following. It's been very well received. I mean, yeah. yeah, uh, The following day, many of the publishers in Britain who rejected it Mm -hmm. asked for it. And it's incredible. Later, when I was talking to my publisher, because she rejected it, too, or at least her assistant rejected it, but she said that sometimes when we reject book, it's because, you know, we have a similar book that is being published or it's not the right time, but the yeah. kind of letters they write to us, you know, yeah. say something else, they rarely tell you the truth why your book has been, pub- has mm-hmm. been rejected. But... um I remember there was uh, 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 an, an editor from Chateau and Windows who fell in love with the book. And she kept on saying, I really want to publish this book, but I've got to wait for marketing. And I think we held on for like four weeks. And then she came back and said, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to let it go. But uh, because I dare not change it. I think that was the best reception i got back someone saying i dare not touch your book and change it right that was a compliment in it, it was right? it was yeah there's a, a a certain africa that is out there that has been created by the media mm-hmm. and and some it's a kind of very lazy uh created africa that if you want to make a quick buck you reproduce that Africa, and your books will travel quite quickly because Europeans are used to that Africa. So that Africa is, talk about war, talk about
3: AIDS.
2: Famine. And Famine. Um, 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 it, it will travel. Yeah. And then mention the white people coming to bring um, aid, mm-hmm. missionaries as well, even if you make them terrible. <laughs> as long as they are there, you right. know. Yeah. But if a book then goes into the 1700s, before Europe arrived, the language is going to change. The things you're going to talk about are very different. And Europe is not ready to work hard. Remember, for a long time, we used to put glossaries.
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: a glossary for them, you yes. know. And so, in a way, the West has been spoiled by the way we've written our literature. And that, I think, came out of the fact that we, because we were not publishing our books, and in the beginning, um, like when the Achebes wrote, there was no English reading public in Africa Mm -hmm. yet. So we kept on writing to the West, you know, writing to the empire, and the empire decided, thought that that's the way writing would be. So now when we turn the gaze and look at ourselves, because again, then the subject matter changes, and the way we write about ourselves changes, and and everything, even the tone, because if you've noticed, um, if you talk to people from your country, then you're Manner changes, and mm-hmm. you you know. But when you're talking to people from Europe, yeah. you are very different. Of it's course. the same with 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 the books. So I think all of that did not invite Europeans in immediately, or they worried. worried. And I suspect publishers can be very um, patronizing to readers.
3: One of my favorite books um, is uh, B. Kojo Lang's Search Sweet Country. Mm-hmm. And I think what that does successfully is that he is not writing to a particular European perspective. He's actually writing about Accra in the 1970s after many coups in Ghana. And Actually, from that book, you could literally do a tour of Accra um based on this book. And it's pure fiction. And it's actually very um what's the word? It's very chaotic. You know, it's not linear. It, oh, yes. It's got no structure yes. as such. Um there is all kinds of language in it again, but it does have a glossary at the end. But um it struggled to find a publisher as well, and it was published in nineteen eighty-six originally, and then it kind of fell out of fashion. And then it was found by it was published again in two thousand and Mm, well, maybe 2013 or so and it was introduced by Binyavanga Wainana who obviously wrote you know the seminal article how to write about Africa which brought up all these things that Jennifer has just said you know with Baobab trees on the cover and you know all this kind of all this kind of nonsense but I find it quite startling that a publisher should say that a book is too African as if they would say for example a book is too Indian and obviously you know India has a whole publishing industry of its own that's it can sustain itself but look how how successful the Indian not Indian quote-unquote novel is you know and so for a book to be too African it's what what are you inferring you know is it that you know Africa is not commercial is it that Africans don't read so we don't have an audience who would naturally buy your book I mean Yeah, I find that quite stunning because what is the purpose of a book if not to transport the reader to another world?
1: Is there anything that readers in Europe can do to support the efforts or to help the spreading of the word? Well,
2: as you say, they donate books. Stop donating uh, Dan Brown. Thank you. It's been wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) you know what? Consider sending African books that you've finished reading. And
3: that's why I always ask people to do, to send or to donate to us books that are written by African and African-descended writers, for sure.
2: Uh, Yeah. uh, uh, Also, publishers sometimes have books they have not sold And I tend to come across those books because I buy a lot of books from second-hand shops. Um, But they could ship those books or or just call somebody and say, we have these books. Does anybody want them in this country? And somebody will come for them and we'll, we'll take them back to Africa.
3: And I'll also say, in addition to donating books, funding is important because, you know, you can donate all the books and if people can't read or they don't have the natural inclination to read, you have to organize some kind of literacy programs or events to get people to read. And obviously that involves uh, a lot of the time people who volunteer their time, in the case of my library, to go out to these communities and do these kind of things. But, you know, books are good, but also funding is good as well.
0: Super interesting to hear about this from Jennifer McCombie and Sylvia Arthur. Lots to chew on there for sure. Do check out McCombie's kinchu, as mentioned in the discussion. And as always, do check out secondhome.io for full cultural program listings.